Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. There are a lot of bills in Congress, but have you heard of the 32-hour Work Week Act? The 100-member Progressive Caucus has endorsed the measure. California Representative Mark Takano says it's time to consider, quote, a modern-day business model that prioritizes quality of life, productivity, and fair pay. We've seen how businesses worldwide adjusted the workplace, but those changes were forced by the nature of a pandemic. What will it take to get companies to let go of a traditional 40-hour work week? Today, where we live, we talk about it. My next guest says a 32-hour work week is, quote, not a fad. In fact, Alex Pang says in the last two years, it's been put into practice at scale. Alex Pang is author of Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less, Here's How, and the book Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less. Alex, welcome to our show. Oh, thanks for having me, Lucy. So I mentioned the pandemic, uh, there was a, a huge shift in the workplace and some of what we think about as a standard day, more flexibility. I'm wondering, though, if you can talk more about um, the companies that were thinking about this before the pandemic and what does a condensed work week actually look like? Sure. So a condensed work week is one in which you reduce the number of hours that people are actually working at a company. So it's not going to four day weeks, but you're working 10 hour days, but you're doing actually, you know, 32 hours a week or maybe sort of working five days a week for six hours. You're doing this without cutting salaries. So it's not a prorated kind of deal. And you're also not reducing expectations around sort of, you know, sort of delivery dates or sort of productivity. So, and before the pandemic, you know, I had found you know, more than 100 companies that had done this around the world in a variety of industries. And since the pandemic, you know, I've seen actually the movement accelerate. So I know personally of another 150 or so that have sort of made the shift in the last two years. And I think that the, you know, the way we talk about the four-day week, the way we think about it, has also sort of evolved in ways that sort of suggest that it's yeah, it's only going to keep building momentum. The 100 companies you mentioned before the pandemic who were uh, who've adopted the four day work week. I'm wondering if you can talk more about what kind of companies, because when you when you first hear this, you think, well, this would solely be for office jobs. Can you elaborate more, Alex? Sure. And, you know, indeed, a majority of the companies that do this first are in knowledge work, they're creative firms, they're ones that have you know long deadlines and people are accustomed to a lot of autonomy and control over their work. But we're also seeing it, you know, basically we're seeing it in industries where <coughs> overwork is the norm, where hours are long and people have and companies struggle with issues around recruitment and retention and burnout and work-life balance. So, you know, I've also seen it in um, rest in the restaurant industry, which suffers from all of these things. 
you know, they've got first with Michelin starred restaurants, you know, places that have long waiting lists and can kind of do what they want, uh, sort of in terms of sort of they've got more flexibility to kind of play around with their hours than lots of other places. But you've also seen it in places like nursing homes where you know, the sort of uh, the nursing staff get moved to sort of third to um, six hour shifts, but continue to get paid for eight hours so long as they meet certain deadlines. Um, I've seen it in factories. I've seen it even in a traditional Japanese inn in Japan that is you know, on a 800 year old property. So it's really, and indeed it's surprising to me how ubiquitous this is, um, both geographically and in terms of the kinds of work that uh, sort of can, can support a shorter work week. I'm curious what your work week looks like uh, as someone who's a consultant and written several books. Um, as you talk about uh, the the benefits to a shorter work week, you know how do you uh, pack in the work that you need to do in, in a shorter work work week? Is that is that your philosophy as well, Alex? It is. You know, um, in my earlier book, Rest, which was about the the kind of daily lives of super creative and prolific people, one of the things that I found was that they tended to work shorter days like, you know, working really intensively for four or five hours, but they worked really, really intensively in those periods. And so I try to imitate that. And so, you know, I think I tend to have not a four-day week, but more like five or six four-hour days. So that's my ideal anyway. Getting back to the companies that have adopted this, you mentioned they were responding uh, to burnout, also uh, issues with recruitment and retention. And so I'm wondering if you can talk more about that and what have they heard from their employees with this shift to a four-day work week, what it means to the employees and what they've seen. Right. So, you know, the <clears throat> what they have what they've seen and what the employees have reported has been generally pretty positive. Um, sort of, there have not been issues around like the four-day week being more stressful or feel or actually feeling more time compressed. Mainly because people and companies are better able to manage their time, and people have a greater sense of control over their time, which psychologically is really important for sort of how much stress you have. Um, I think that in terms of sort of the you know, the 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 benefits for both employees and company owners and executives that it can literally be life changing. You know, I have people who sort of say that if they had kept going the way that they had, the companies that they had built up and had invested so much of their lives in would have run into the ground in the next year or two, and their health would have been destroyed. But you know, the four day week helped turn that around. It's also had a huge impact, huge benefits in terms of sort of recruitment and retention. So even in industries where, you know, where turnover was, you know, in excess of 100%, right? You get a whole new crop of people pretty much every year. The four-day week can drive that down into sort of the single digits. And people, it turns out, when you give them an extra day of the week, do disgustingly wholesome things with it. Um, they spend time with family. They, you know, cook for themselves rather than, you know, get takeout on the way home after a long night. They do community stuff. They exercise. And so, you know, and of course, for families and particularly for working mothers, 
having another day in which you can spend time with family and, you know, sort of do life admin stuff, as the Brits like to call it, can make a big difference on how you're free, how you feel with your free time and how much you're able to recover um, before you go back to work on Monday. We've been talking about uh, particular companies, Alex, but Iceland, actually, uh, there's uh, public workers there uh, where they had an experiment and they um, adopted a four-day work week. Uh, What were the results? So, yeah, in Iceland, um, there was a trial between 2015 and 2019. About 1% of of the, the public sector in several different places sort of did this. And what they found was that over the course of several years, productivity went up. Not, not surprisingly, people were happier. Um, sort of the sort of the the offices got very good sort of reviews by sort of the the public, and last as a result, last year the entire public sector, which is you know thirty eight thousand people, I want to say, and about fifteen percent of the of Iceland's workforce, shifted to a shorter work week. Not everybody does a four-day week, depending on whether you're a day, sh- you know, day worker or night shift, and what your arrangements were previously. But what we're seeing is that you know it just reinforces that this is not just something for office workers, but you know, night shift nurses, first responders, you know, people who work in places ranging from you know airports to power plants um, can make a shorter work week work for them. How does it impact a company's bottom line? Is it more expensive uh, to to adapt this practice, Alex? It turns out it is not. Um, you know, I think in in companies, you know, in like knowledge work companies and so on, sort of not surprisingly, the amount of time that you spend on a, a sort of you know keeping the lights on doesn't it doesn't affect your bottom line all that terribly much. But even in places where you have to hire more staff, it turns out that there were bigger bigger benefits or savings that come from implementing these programs. So with the nursing homes, you know, you need certified nurses assistants around 24 hours a day because they're basically you all, you you know, you never know when there's going to be an emergency or someone needs help. And in the places that have added staff, what they've seen is uh, that you spend more money on salaries, but you make it up on not having to spend money on recruiters, and especially on temp agency fees, right? Someone calls in sick at the last minute and you have to spend four times what a normal shift would cost in order to get someone in at the last minute. So at one place, for example, they spent another $140,000 on sort of regular staff hiring several more people, but they saved more than 120,000 just in temp fees and recruiting. And then they made up the rest in sort of improved quality of service and sort of better patient outcomes and so on. So it turns out that this is, you know, not only do we see improvements in individual productivity or improvements in productivity of groups, but there are also these other kinds of ripple effects that generate additional savings or benefits for the company. We've seen workplace standards uh, change and evolve even over the last 100 years, Alex. And so can we maybe give some context of how we got to the traditional 40-hour work week to begin with? 
<laughs> so, you know, the 40-hour week has a really long history, right? You know, sort of the in the 19th century, the labor movement argued for, you know, eight hours for work, eight hours for sleep, and eight hours for what you will. And the 40-hour week is what? By now, close to 100 years old. Um, but it really was developed for... Now, sort of, it was an industrial model of labor. It was one developed mainly sort of around factory work, and it's one that sort of works well if you're mainly doing, you know, the same the same set of tasks day in and day out. Um, but in a knowledge economy, in work where you're dealing with other humans, where you're having to solve problems, co- you know, cooperate all the time, sort of. That is work that requires uh, essentially sort of a different way of thinking about work and has different kind of psychological and sort of physical demands that sort of are better suited, I think, to sort of working shorter hours. And then I think it's so, um, but I think that, you know, as as familiar as the 40-hour week is that, you know, the last couple of years have shown us that we can actually change how we work and when we work faster and more profoundly than we ever thought possible. And so the 40-hour week, which has seemed always like this, you know, perfectly natural thing, suddenly looks like something that we can, you know, that we can re-engineer to make more suitable for sort of our work and these times and our lives. We'll keep talking about this after the break. We'll hear from a company based in New England about how it implemented the schedule. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. A four-day work week or five shorter work days, either way, reducing 40 hours to 32 a week can be beneficial, according to my guest, Alex Pang, author of Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less, Here's How. Uh, Alex, uh, before we talk to a, a company that's implemented a four-day work week, how, will this, how would this work for workers who are paid hourly versus salaried? Uh, the way it works in these companies is that Simply put, you increase their salaries. Um, there are sometimes, you know, some additional sort of boundaries or conditions that are set. So, with the nursing homes, for example, or if you get, you get, essentially it's like a bonus, right? You get paid for the thirty hours and then get an additional ten if you don't call in sick that week. You do a couple of other things. So, but you know, I think that the you know, one of the things that these companies show us is that. You know, we tend not to think of hourly work as creative, quote unquote. Um, 
But, you know, it turns out that basically all the work that you can automate and give to a robot kind of has been given to a robot. And what's left is work that requires decision-making and problem-solving and, and a degree of autonomy and an ability to work with others. And, you know, anybody who has worked in, like, a care home or retail understands you know, that sort of this is this is what the work is like now. And so that's one reason that, that, that it applies just as well to hourly work as it does to salaried and why it's, you know, why those kinds of companies see benefits as, you know, sort of as profound as those like, you know, advertising agencies or web design firms. John on Facebook shared, if it's possible to get the same productivity in 32 hours as you do in 40, isn't that an admission that workers aren't working efficiently? How would you respond, Alex? You know, I would say it's an admission that companies aren't organizing work as efficiently as they should. Um, you know, there are studies that indicate that um, between overly long meetings, technology-driven distractions, and sort of uh, and outdated managerial processes, we lose something like two hours of work time every day. So in a sense, the four-day week is already here. We already have the technologies in place that make individual tasks more productive or allow things to go faster. It's just that they're buried underneath this kind of structural rubble that we need to remove in order to make a four-day week a success. So that's what I'd say. We wanted to hear from companies that have adopted the four-day work week. Joining us now on Zoom is Mike Malillo, founder and CEO of the Wanderlust Group. It's a tech company working in the marine and outdoor travel industry based in Rhode Island. Mike, welcome to our show. Thanks for having us. So tell us uh, when you decided that a four-day work week could work out for your company. So it was in May of 2020, uh, a couple months after the pandemic had started, and I would love to say that this was a well thought out, organized decision uh, on behalf of a company, but it, it happened in about a 24 hour period. And, and the catalyst was twofold. While it was true, folks were no longer commuting each day or going out to lunch. What I noticed was that everybody was spending a disproportionate amount of time uh, on Zooms and in meetings uh, and distracted, for, for lack of a better term, with an endless array of unpredictable events that were coming down our path. And the other issue that had arisen was I was observing quite a bit of tension and I'll call it fractions amongst sort of constituents within our organization, specifically earlier in the week. We went from having a Monday through Friday weekends were your time to decompress to when the pandemic hit, everybody was locked at home and there was really no difference between a Monday or a Sunday. And as I was sitting around on a Sunday afternoon and my daughter was in the other room uh, and I was trying to plan and get organized for the rest of the week, I had a bit of a breaking moment. Uh, many of our employees live in coastal New England towns and often the best time of week to get out is on Monday when the tourists leave. And I sent an impromptu email to the management team that effective immediately, we were going to move to a no Monday, four day work week for a 90 day trial. And the premise was really just about trying to constrain the week and give people their time back. I think a lot of what Alex had just talked about in the, the prior segment really resonated with us, but it was really an experiment and an experiment in which we did not change any of our company wide goals. 
and we did not change any pay. What I wanted to try to do was create a constraint in which people could have that freedom and opportunity to get out and not be buried on the weekend trying to plan and get organized for the start of the week. So it's important to be organized, eliminate uh, these distractions. And you said you you, try, you started this out as a trial uh, for 90 days. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about uh, what you noticed long-term in terms of productivity and even retaining your staff, Mike. Yeah. So after the end of summer, we had um, grown over 100% year over year. And uh, the results spoke for themselves. Employees were happier. We were more efficient. And you know, ultimately, I found that we were getting more done with, again, less time being spent in meetings and in endless Zooms. And I think there was a couple of uh, interesting you know, benefits that, that we saw as we found our stride with this process. Something else Alex mentioned in the, in the prior segment, you know, admin stuff. Um, by giving everybody Monday, they could coordinate, plan their meetings, appointments without having the disruption in the rest of the week. I think that was actually quite important. So we didn't have people missing here or there on a Wednesday or Thursday meeting. Most people could orient around Monday and get their get what they needed to get done without cannibalizing their weekend. And the other part of it, and, and I think this is critically important, just in the knowledge working economy that we are in, how different our work-life balance has changed. The average American is checking their cell phone 345 times a day. Um, we are no longer, you go to work at nine and you come home at five and you're shut off. You wake up at six, you check your phone and the last thing you check before you go to bed is your phone. And you know, even though you might not be responding, those uh, stimulus-driven reactions that you have, whether it's a Slack or an email, the, the brain is constantly on. And what I was really trying to do here at Plate Sports in my past life was to try to find a way to give people space, space to think, space to plan. Um, if you are 100% uh, subscribed in your day to day, you typically will think only in a reactionary manner. This is why our best thoughts tend to happen when we're in the shower or we're driving and we're <laughs> focused on something else. You know, and, and I really wanted to create that environment. I think that's our job in the manage, you know, in the knowledge economy that we all live in today is to try to create an environment where our people can ultimately perform at their best. And, you know, it goes without question that in your prior segment, again, you talked about the impact on the P&L. I think retention, especially in such a competitive environment and having folks that are both bought into the mission, but understand the motions of the business and not having constant turnover is one of the best things you can do for your bottom line. Um, and I think that will become more and more apparent uh, as the four-day work week, I think, will uh, will spread rather quickly here over the next couple of years. I'm wondering, Mike, if you can talk about you know, how many people you actually employ and uh, if this has been a, a good experiment for you, um, you know, what this means in terms of long-term growth and you know, additional hires. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think uh, that that's a, a, a fun part of this is we're, we're no longer on a 90-day sample. We're coming up on two years this May, so I think we have enough data to sort of at least corroborate on an anecdotal basis what, what's worked and what has not. Um, Pre-pandemic, we were at about 30 employees. Uh, as of next week, the Wanderlust Group will be over 70, so we've doubled in size while on a four-day work week as well as closing a substantive financial round and improving our overall unit economics last year quite considerably. And I think that's an important point here. A lot of founders and other uh, executives that I talk to, there is a true genuine fear 
that by switching to this, even though I think they know in their hearts this is what's best for not only their people but for their own well-being, that it'll be used as a crutch from outsiders to point to why they might have missed a target or why they might not have been as successful as they thought they could have been. Um, and again, as, as an example, over the last 18 months, we've grown over 100%. We closed funding from some of the best groups in the world today. And we've been able to not only survive, but grow and create, I think, a more uh, positive work environment and balance with, uh, with our employees in, in doing so. So by all means, it is possible. Alex Pang is still with us. He's author of Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less. Here's how as we talk about the four-day work week. Alex, can you respond to what Mike shared, uh, especially about some of the fears that uh, you know, leaders of companies uh, may have, the challenges to start this four-day work week? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. And, you know, sort of just about everybody who thinks about this worries first, all right, how are clients going to respond, right? Sort of, we're so accustomed to thinking that we've got to be always on and always responsive that moving to a four-day week feels kind of impossible. And in talking to more than 200 companies about this, I've had exactly one story of one prospective client who said, you know, we're not going to work with you because you do a four-day week. It turns out that, you know, in professionals that, you know, particularly in like professional services, that clients are some of the biggest fans of a four-day week, partly because it, you know, everybody is suffering from these challenges around recruitment and retention, burnout, and a company that you know that can figure out how to make this work maybe has something to to teach you that you can then pick up yourself. I think another important thing that sort of Mike points to is that the way in which we talk about the four-day week has really shifted dramatically in the last several years. You know, it used to be this kind of completely impossible thing. And companies, when they did it, maybe were very hesitant to talk about it because there really wasn't a language for explaining why a four-day week was a good thing. Now, though, when companies do it, they announce it on LinkedIn or they do a press release or a video. And what it signifies is that this is a company that cares about its people, that it's on the cutting edge of work trends, but also this is a company that's so professional, that knows its business so well, it can do in four days what the competition needs five or six to do. And so you might think that companies where everyone's sleeping under their desk are really cool places, but who is it who really knows how to get the work done? Is it the place where everyone's got to be late or the place where everyone can leave at the end of the day on Thursday and enjoy a four-day week? Mike, you're still with us. I'm curious if you could talk about how you're spending that extra day off and what it means to you personally. Yeah, quite a bit. I, I, I uh, Monday mornings are when I get to take my daughter to swim lessons. And yeah, I think these moments as, as we are in, again, a new universe of incessantly connected to devices and, uh, you know, expectations growing at a rapid pace, especially for technology companies. It's wonderful to be able to spend time with my daughter during the work week when everybody else is in a bunch of management meetings or stand-ups accordingly. And just to be able to have those moments that I won't be able to get back uh, later on in life. And I think having that separation and having that balance, I think, are, are critical. And, and they're not mutually exclusive. I, I, you know, We are always on. We're always thinking about our business and, and our customers. 
and to be able to feather in, you know, some of these events that historically we would have never had a chance to get to, I think is is something that, uh, you know, I appreciate greatly. I also have, you know, time to think and, and plug in and, and get ahead for the week and ultimately look at, you know, where are our biggest opportunities and where can I be more prepared to make the rest of the organization more efficient. Um, and again, that collective constraint that we've put on the work week is is really important. It makes you value the meeting. A 12-person meeting is a very expensive use of company-wide time. And when we no longer have the crutch of being in person and just pulling people into breakout sessions, I think ultimately it might not be right out of the gate in the first 30 to 60 days for those that are trying it, but ultimately you'll see a pretty significant jump in the efficiency of your communication um, by forcing people to document, put more in a centralized repository, and just be clear on what the expectations are. At the end of the day, we're a global company. We work in multiple countries. If I have to be sitting around looking at a green Slack bubble or Teams bubble, I'm not doing my job. Be clear on what the expectations are. Be clear on when we're trying to get to that destination and why that's so important. And empower your people to go and, and, and to execute. Um, I've yet to meet a single person uh, despite their own actions that likes to be micromanaged and like somebody checking in every 30 minutes on what they're doing. So this is, again, a natural constraint that allows some separation and allow people to get plugged in to start the week and I think be more organized overall. Alex Pang, who's still with us, I'm curious when we look at other countries and, and companies there that have adopted this uh, even prior to the pandemic, you know, how that has then um, impacted other aspects of, of life in terms of even uh, school and childcare? What have, what have we seen? Well, I think we've seen that it has benefits for sort of family life everywhere, right? And I think that the, you know, there was uh, one one founder was telling me that, you know, his dad was never able to have the time that I can now spend with my kids because of a four day week, and that struck me as like a that was a you know that that for me was actually kind of a profound moment that drove home just how beneficial this can be but i think that you know sort of one of the striking things i've seen is that you know, two of the places that have had the most experimentation with four day weeks have been japan and korea some of the biggest companies that have moved to four day weeks or other kinds of shorter work weeks are there and these are two you know these are two countries whose languages have words for working yourself to death and so, you know, in plate, so even in countries where overwork is that well established, we see, you know, we see companies able to do it and we see really serious benefit in terms of improvements in family life, improvements in the amount of time that you're able to spend with sort of with, you know, with your kids and the quality, I think, of the time that you can spend. You just heard Alex Pang, author of Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less, Here's How. He's going to stay with us. But I want to thank Mike Malillo for joining us, founder and CEO of the Wanderlust Group based in Rhode Island, a tech company working in the marine and outdoor travel industry. Mike, a pleasure to hear from you. And I'm sure some people are wondering, are you hiring? <laughs> we are. And I just want to take a moment to thank both you and Alex for having this conversation. I think uh, having an opportunity to communicate and uh, you know highlight what the benefits are at the end of the day work-life balance is a 
critical component to where we live and how connected we all are. So just want to genuinely say thank you to both of you for putting a spotlight on this and, uh, and providing a forum for this discussion, because I think it's quite important. Thanks, Mike, for your time. Again, you can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Is a 32-hour work week another perk for the privileged office worker? What would it take for reduced hours to be a benefit for more workers in our economy? We're talking about the four-day work week with my guest on Zoom, Alex Pang, author of Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less, Here's How. Alex, can you talk more about that point that this policy right now, it, it seems like a privilege uh, for some. How to get this more adopted uh, widely? So I think that the, you know, to some degree, it's got a momentum of its own. And I think as, you know, sort of, uh, as Mike showed, there are plenty of companies that are sort of kind of organically discovering the benefits itself. Um, there have been efforts to implement policies to encourage shorter work weeks, right? The, you know, I, we talked about Iceland already, the United Arab Emirates just this month implemented a four and a half day work week, both for the public sector and for schools. And I think that has the potential to be a game changer because, you know, it's, it, uh, it will help drive along or, or, you know, the, or the, the private sector to sort of, to get into, to get into sync with the, sort of, with those as well. Um, but I think that the, you know, there are lots of, there are lots of different ways that we could see implementation of a four day week or other shorter week at scale, right? You know, Mark Takano, as you mentioned, has introduced legislations uh, that would recalibrate the work week at 32 hours. But there are also, you know, things that you could do in terms of sort of breaks for payroll taxes or other sorts of incentives that would give companies not an obligation to do this, but an opportunity to experiment with it to figure out how it could work for them and to get you know some economic support for it. So I think that you know we're going to see. Uh, we're going to see a lot of experiments in the public sector and with public policy in the coming years. But I think it's, you know, it remains to be seen just what mix of things are going to sort of uh, sort of help make this sort of a mass movement that's backed up by sort of by government, you know, by government and public action. Again, we're talking about a reduced work week, 32-hour, four-day work week with my guest, Alex Pang. Joining us now is a Connecticut manufacturer whose workers don't put in a full 40-hour work week. The schedule is a bit different than what we've been talking about with the four-day work week, but I wanted to bring into the conversation Amanda Weiria, who's director of manufacturing support for Wepco Plastics. Again, that's in Connecticut. Amanda, welcome to our show. Hi, Lucy. Thank you for having me. I believe you're based uh, based in Middlefield. We are, yes, ma'am. So, tell us about a little about your company and what your work week looks like. So, we are a plastics manufacturer. We focus mainly on prototyping. So, we have a very fast and quick environment. An average lead time for us is about three weeks on new projects. When in the industry, they're typically about six to eight. So, we're cutting that in half to be able to help our customers get their new product out to the market even faster. With so that, you, when, and you have when, a three-day um, work week, Amanda? 
Yes, ma'am. So we do in our molding department. It was something that we started back when COVID first took over, very similar to what Mike shared is it was a quick decision. It happened in about less than 48 hours. We knew with COVID spiking that we needed to do something to avoid having to shut down our whole company. So we separated our departments. We had people quarantining from each other. That way, if we were to have an outbreak in just one area, we could shut down that department and not the entire company. However, we knew we needed to go a little bit further. So in our molding department, we ended up splitting our staff into two teams, and they transferred from doing eight hours Monday through Friday to doing three 12-hour shifts. So we have a team that works on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from 6 a.m. to 6.30 p.m., and then we had another shift that worked Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, also from 6 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. So they're working about 36 hours in a week, and they're still getting paid based on a 40-hour work week. Wow. So the the four-day weekend sounds like a nice perk, but I am curious about a a 12, 12 12-and-a-half-hour day and how workers have responded to that, Amanda. And once again, something we did very similar to Mike. We did it on a 90-day trial period. We really weren't sure how that was going to go over either. It was a little bit of an adjustment for the team. was four hours longer than they're used to being in the building. Some days they are on their feet for a majority of that time. But once we got kind of out of that three to four week transitional period, they all adapted very well and they actually prefer it. They appreciate having those four days to their personal time to take care of their families and then come back into work refreshed. Uh, Mike from Wanderlust uh, mentioned that uh, this has been great for retention and recruitment and they're they're actually expanding. Uh, What's it looking like for you, Amanda? It is a great recruiting tool for us for the molding department is to be able to let them know that they have the ability to spend more time with their family than they do at work. Mm-hmm. It's for them to know, and especially during COVID, for them to be able to take care of their family, do what they needed to do, and have that taken care of and not have the stress that they're concerned about it when they come into work increases our productivity, and it's also something that we can give back to them. Again, you've been hearing Amanda Weiria here on Where We Live, Director of Manufacturing Support at Wepco Plastics, based in Middlefield, Connecticut. Amanda, thank you for coming on the show to tell us about uh, your your schedule uh, at your company. Thank you, Lucy. Uh, you've been listening to, again, Where We Live, talk about the four-day work week. Uh, Amanda's uh, schedule that she mentioned, a little bit different from what we've been talking about, Alex, but I'm wondering if you can respond to what she shared. And again, thinking about flexibility as an important part of, of any shift in the work week. Yeah. So, you know, it actually reminded me, there are a couple other um, plastics manufacturers or, or custom custom fabricators that have moved to schedules like this, right? three-day weeks, 12, maybe 13-hour days. And again, they did it, you know, sort of during the pandemic and saw similar kinds of benefits. You know, it also reminds me that, you know, we've talked we've talked about how this has started recently mainly in, like, services and professional sectors. But actually, there was an earlier movement to experiment with four-day weeks in the 1960s that was actually led by manufacturing. And in fact, and a lot of what drove it there was what Amanda was talking about with things like longer run times on the machines, right? In factory lines where it might take an hour to warm up 
you know, sort of your your equipment and get your assembly line running, being able to work a four day week or a three day week meant you're actually saving a pretty fair amount of time in startup and sort of and sort of shutdown time, which made you sort of more effective. And but I think that the you know this desire for flexibility or a desire to figure out how we can work in ways that sort of are more robust is really important as a driver of the four day week movement and other kinds of, of you know other kinds of drives toward flexibility. We just have a couple of minutes left, Alex. But when we think about next steps, uh, getting more people to talk about this and whether it's embraced uh, uh, widely, you know, who's pushing this? Are uh, the Gen Zs and millennials uh, helping uh, you know get this conversation started? Or you know, what have you been seeing uh, in your your time researching this? Yeah, you know, um, I have yet to find an age group or demographic that doesn't like the idea of having more free time and working better. Um, so, you know, I think that the, you know, you do see lots of sort of younger parents or entrepreneurs who are starting families being, you know, most enthusiastic about it. But really, you know, I think we all appreciate the need for or of, uh, for uh, for more time and more flexibility and more balance in our lives. I think that the fact that this is a movement that has been very much driven by small companies, by entrepreneurs, that it really starts at the top, even though it's implemented from the bottom up, is a really positive sign. Right? It means that the four-day week is not something that is like you know extracted from capital by labor, but rather it's something that everybody creates together, and that you know it shows that we can build collective solutions to what feel often like very personal or family problems. That collective action turns out to be the most powerful form of self-care that there is. And so I think that, you know, no matter that, uh, you know, that uh, we're, and that with, with some kinds of support, like the four day week, you know, there are these four day week trials that are starting in the U S in the UK and other countries um, that are bringing together companies that want to give this a go and want some support and be part of a peer network, that that's also, I think, going to help seed the ground and help grow this movement. So, but I think that, you know, this is a, you know, this is something that's been going on for several mm-hmm. years now and is only just now becoming aware of itself as a movement that's uh, and as something that can change the way that work happens for us all. So I think just that awareness is going to be something that will help sort of help speed things along and grow the movement in the future. Alex Pang, again, is author of Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less. Here's how. Also, the book Rest, Why You Can Get More Done When You Work Less. Alex, a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thank you, Lisa. Lucy, this has been terrific. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. Thanks to Kate Talarski, who was our tech producer today. We'll be back tomorrow.